Psalm 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children in of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Now in chapter 128, Blessed is every one that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. Thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children, like olive plants, round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem in all thy days, days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel. Tonight we're going to be looking at training children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word. I thank you, Father, for uh, the word of God that uh, teaches us all that we need to know uh, for life and godliness through the promises that you've given us in your word. And I pray tonight as we look into the word of God that you'd encourage us and challenge us. And Father, for those who have children and are training those and raising those up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, I pray that it be encouragement and challenge to them. And for those of us who do not have children, or maybe we're grandparents, Father, just help us to be faithful with our grandchildren, and um, to understand these truths. Uh, so, Lord, and those that maybe will one day have children, I pray that you encourage them as well. So just give us wisdom and understanding in thy truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I realize that this isn't directly applicable to everyone tonight. <clears throat> we do have some new parents, uh, of course, in our church family. And we have some new grandparents in our church family. and uh, But, you know, we grandparents have a responsibility, too. Responsibility to not get in the way of parents. Uh, you know, grandparents, we grandparents have a tendency to me- get mellow. And, um, you know, one of the things my children offer said, well, when I was a kid, you know, I never got away with that. You know, we should, we should, and we, and we don't want to be, get mellow. You know what the next step is? It's rotten. Um, so you don't want to get mellow because many, there's many parents that feel pressure from their parents concerning their children. You know, don't be too strict or don't be too, you know, um, no, you need to let parents be parents. Oh. Grandparents are great, but they're not parents. There's a reason why God didn't give grandparents children. Uh, most often, they would be spoiled. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> so but as we think about this, and as we think about children, you know, children are looked upon by many today as a bother. They're looked upon as a, by the world as a bother. Uh, but the Bible doesn't look at them that, that way. In fact, it says here that children are an heritage of the Lord. 
The fruit of the womb is his reward. Uh, chapter 128 describes them as olive plants round about thy table. And, and the word picture there speaks of, uh, of olive plants. It's, it's, the idea here is, according to the commentators, peculiarly luxuriant. In other words, if you had olive plants round about, you had your own olive plants in Israel, you're considered to have things of luxury. That speaks of, it speaks of being richly abundant or having abundance. And so that's how God views children that are like olive plants round about thy table. But we understand also that, you know, having children or raising children for the Lord is a great responsibility. It's a very, very great responsibility. And of course, we as parents are commanded by God to raise up our children for the Lord Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Ephesians 6.4 Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So God commands us to, to train or to raise our children for the Lord. They are a gift from God to us to train for Him. For Him. We are like stewards with our children. They're His gift to us to train for Him. And of course we need, you know, we need great wisdom in this, uh, to fill this responsibility. And, and you know, I, one of the, one of the, uh, I think a good attitude toward this subject would be like Manoah. You know, Manoah was the father of Samson. And Manoah said, in, in, in uh, Judges 13.8, Then Manoah betrayed the Lord and said, O Lord, my Lord, let the man of God, which thou didst send, come again unto us, and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. Now, the word of God is the manual, if you want to call it that, for child training. It's what gives us instruction on how to train children. Um, you know, you can read other you can read other books, and of course, you know, I have read a lot of books on on the home and child training and so forth, and um, and, and and they can, they are good and helpful. But we have to go by the Word of God. The Word of God is our is our source of truth for life, uh, for practice, everything in life, and so. Uh, we have everything that we need, need from the Word of God. So as we think about children tonight, they, uh, somebody has said they have, they have eight basic needs. Children have needs. They are needy creatures. If you're going to have children, you're going to find out they have needs. Just like we all have needs. We are all needy creatures. <laughs> we all have needs. And, uh, and so I want to look at those things tonight. Uh, first of all, they need love, attention, and affection. Every child should grow up in a loving environment. 
In Titus chapter 2 and verse uh, 4, it says concerning, concerning young women, the older women are supposed to teach the young women, that they may teach young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Now, so, so the old aged women are to teach their young women, you know, to, to love their children. Now, you might say, why do you, would you have to teach a woman to love her children? By the way, the Bible doesn't say that anywhere about men. Now, that's an interesting thing, and I thought about that a little bit. Now, do we men need to love our children? Yes, we do. But it doesn't say anywhere about teaching men to love their children. But it does say that the aged women are teaching the young women to love their children. Now, I'm not going to speculate too much why that is. But, you know, sometimes children can get under your skin, and we can do things that are unloving to them and later regret it. And, and so, you know, all of us are sinners by nature, and, you know, in, in times of stress, those sinful characteristics can come out. And, and so we need, we need to learn, we need to learn to love our children. Uh, this requires, of course, attention and affection. However, going to the men, Ephesians 6, 4 says this, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, the, the phrase there, bring them up, means to nourish. So this is the command given to fathers. They're to nourish. And that word nourish means to sustain with food and nutriment, to supply what is necessary for life. Now, if a father doesn't love his child, do you think he's going to nourish him? You know, it says to bring them up. So nourish them in the nurture and admonition. The word nurture means the whole training and education and everything of the child. You know, it, the cultivation of the mind and morals. Uh, it, it, you know, employs the purpose of commands and admonitions, reproof and punishment. And then, and then it goes on and says, the admonition of the Lord. The admonition means a mild rebuke or warning. So there would be things you'd give your child instruction or warn them about. You know, you wouldn't, it may be something that they have not done, but something that they, you may see out there in the world and you would, you know, give your child a, you know, a sort of a rebuking admonition or warning. You know, don't you get involved with something like that because this is where it can lead you. You know, that's like a, a, a mild warning. Maybe that's something they have done. But, of course, the nurture has to do with, with punishment and reproof. So, again, this requires attention uh, to children. And children need this. They need this, they need this uh, direction for life, this love and attention. You know, you know uh, one of the things that, and, and, and I think that, uh, I do believe that children need to, to know, need to hear from us that we do love them, but but they need it even more so demonstrated to them by the things that they that we do for them. Uh, my dad never told me he loved me till I was I got married on my wedding day. He told me that. Now, however, before that day, 
Before that day, I came to understand from the Bible that he did. Because he cared enough about me to correct me. And provide. Uh, you know, even though there were some things you know, that weren't necessarily properly done, he cared enough. So, so there needs to be. You know, every child needs love. They need love, which is attention and affection. Uh, they need teaching. You know, children aren't born with the Word of God written in their hearts. They're not naturally, by the way, they're not naturally bright either. They have to be taught. Uh, and again, uh, Psalm 78, verses 2 through 8 says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He has established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers, they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. So they need teaching. And the Lord has given the responsibility to parents, and by the way, we grandparents can help with this, teaching them the Word of God. Teaching them the commands of God. Uh... You know, to, to teach them to adhere and to orient their lives around the things of God. Uh, to have a knowledge and a love for the Word of God. And again, that will only be accomplished if we teach them and instruct them. And, and, uh, and the things of the Lord. Uh, so there's love, there's teaching, there's training. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. So, you know, training involves not only the teaching, but how. Some application. How to serve the Lord. How do you serve the Lord? You know what that requires? That requires that we do it too. It requires that we do it too. How to treat people. How to pray. How to study the Bible. How to witness. How you deal with problems. You know, children need to be shown, this is, this is really learning how to live. It's really what this, learning how to live. Because the world's full of problems. Life's full of problems. And so we need to train our children, you know, just like we would train a dog. No, you're not training the same things, but you train a dog to obey. To respond to commands, to, you know, if you have a hunting dog, you train it to hunt and all these things. And what are, what are we doing? We're training that dog, you're training that dog how to conduct itself for the purpose for which it was, it was bred, made. And children, you know, we are, we are made, we were created to worship and to serve God. And we need to train our children to worship and serve God. It does not come naturally. 
how to conform or how to apply biblical standards of conduct, speech, attitudes. And of course, this requires, again, consistency uh, and consistent and constant uh, uh, application of the Word of God. And that's why, that's why he said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that thou shalt teach them diligently, shalt talk of them, then thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. You know, we need to teach our children the contrast of and the consequences of wickedness and the fruits of wickedness. So that they can develop convictions in their own life. And so, uh, so we, we, again, that requires that we do it ourselves. So there needs to be this training, this training. There needs to be example. Uh, we as parents and grandparents need to set an example, uh, before the children of godliness and submission to the Lord. You know, what we, what we say with our mouth is not as significant as our actions. You know, one of the things that that is is difficult for us to be an example is in I believe many times is to admit when we are wrong and say I'm sorry. You know, sometimes it may require you to say I'm sorry to your child, but I can assure you one thing: if you if you will admit and apologize to your child, they won't think less of you. They will think more of you. They will respect you for it. Because, you know, again, you're setting an example of what is right to do. Just as we ought to confess our sins to God, or if we offended some other adult, if we have offended our child or done wrong by our child, we need to apologize for it. So we have to set the example in the home. We don't want to be like the Jewish Old Testament the Jews were. You know, they, they taught the law and yet blasphemed the name of God among Gentiles. Uh, and, and, and this is an example. There are several ways here. Uh, we, we have to be an example in temperament. We, that means we have to rule ourselves. First uh, Timothy 3, 2 says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, Sober, and that word sober means temperate, of good behavior given to hospitality. Titus 2, 2, the aged men be sober, grave, temperate. Same Greek word as the word sober. Uh, speaking about late, the women, they're to be discreet. And that word again means temperate or controlled. Uh, Titus 2, 5, temperate or discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good obedient to their own husbands. And so the idea here is of curbing one's desires and impulses, being controlled or temperate, being controlled by the Spirit of God. So we need to be an example in our temperament. Uh, we need an example of submission. Parent, we must demonstrate to our children that we submit to the authorities that God has placed over us. Ephesians 5.21 says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Uh, we need to be an example of 
uh, to them of a love, having a love for the things of God. And, you know, we, we must set that example before our children that love, we love the Word of God and we love the church of God. You know, if, 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 if you don't love the things of God and the people of God, don't expect your children to. They're not going to. Psalm 119, verse 97 says, Oh, how love I thy law is my meditation all the day. You know, we were up in Pennsylvania at another church on a Wednesday night, and it was uh, middle of summer, and they had a they had a testimony time. They had they had a camp meeting, and they had a testimony time, and um, uh, there was a there's a family in the church there. The the they were dairy farmers. Now they sold the dairy now, but he was a dairy farmer, and one of the girls gave testimony about. You're watching her dad get up at 3 o'clock in the morning so that he could read his Bible before he went to milk the cows in the morning. And how much that impressed her, her life. And demonstrated to her, you know, and, and, to, and to see him, and, to, and she, she, she talked about this over and over, to see him, you know, he, he put God first. God was the priority in his life, even though he had dairy farm. See, what that demonstrated to his children is, I love the Word of God. And they were, they were faithful, even when they had the dairy farm, they were faithful at church. You know, I've, I've heard through the years, of course, I dairy farm, so I understand the, the pressures of, of a dairy and the responsibilities that go along with it, but I've heard all, you know, a lot of dairy farmers, excuses they make that they can't, they can't go to church. And, you know, and, the rest of you people that aren't dairy farmers just don't understand. No, it's just a matter of priority. You just get up a few hours earlier. You know, I, I, this is one family that always talked about this, and they were always late, and the man always slept during the services. Well, I happen to know that they would spend, stay up to wee hours of the night just talking. I said, if they'd just go to bed at a decent hour, like a sensible person, they'd be able to get up in the morning and they wouldn't sleep in church. You know? What it demonstrated is the Word of God is not the priority that it should be. And the church is not. So we need to be an example in that. Uh, there needs to be an a, a, a example of love for the brethren. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth, uh, through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brother, and see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. You know, in John thirteen thirty five, Jesus told his disciples, "By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another." So there needs to be a. We need to demonstrate before our children that we have a love for the brethren. Uh, there needs to be a. We need to be occupied with the things of God opposed to being occupied with the things of the world. You know, our children know where our hearts are because that's where we put our time, our talents, our emphasis. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
So, so we need to be preoccupied. These are some ways that we need to set an example for our children. Uh, number five, they need to be under control. Proverbs 29.15 says this, A child left himself bringeth his mother to shame. Again, you know, we have a responsibility to control the behavior of our children, to keep them under subjection, and that's the responsibility that God gives to parents. And, and the tendency is, uh, natural tendency for children is to do the wrong thing. Why? Because they're born in iniquity. They're born sinners. You know, David said in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and sin, hath my mother conceived me. In other words, you know, he, didn't, he wasn't saying that his mother committed fornication and she conceived. No, he was saying that his mother and his father were sinners by nature and they passed that sin nature on to him, so he was born a sinner. Every one of us is born a sinner. Everyone, by the way, every, all of us are still sinners. Some of us just made right with God. We're still sinners, but that little child doesn't know when it's born. It doesn't know right from wrong. It has to be trained what is right and what is wrong. And if they never learn submission to their parents, they will not learn, likely learn submission to God. You know, Proverbs 23, 13, 14 says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat with a rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. If a child isn't corrected, it's it's going to be very difficult for that child to submit to God. It's not impossible. All things are possible with God. But what it does is create a great stumbling block before that child. So control, correction, kind of overlapping here. There are many verses in the Bible that speak of correcting a child, and but we need to understand the purpose of correction. Purpose of correction. Uh, the purpose of correction is to protect the child from destroying its own life in rebellion to God. You know, they are again, they're born sinners. They're going to do naturally that which is wrong. They're going to naturally do that which rebels against God. They want to do their own thing. They want to go their own way, be their own boss, and, and it's me, myself, and I. That's how they want to live. And they have to be taught to submit to authorities. And the purpose of correction should be for the child, the love of the child, and concern for his development. Hebrews 12, 6 says this, For whom the Lord loveth, he what? Chasteneth. The Lord corrects us because he loves us. He loves us. And we ought to correct our children because we love them. Because we're concerned. You know, let me give you some verses here. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. But the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Now here's an interesting thing, and I, and I never knew this before until this afternoon I looked up this word. That word back in the heart of a child, it means, it means they embrace it with the closest love. Let me give you an illustration. 
another verse that uses a different word to describe the same meaning. 1 Samuel 18.1 says, It came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. In other words, Jonathan embraced David and loved him as his own soul, the Bible says. He had the, Jonathan and David, that their relationship was, was closer than a man with a woman, the Bible says. In other words, they had the closest relationship as men can have. Jonathan, you know, he, he, he was willing to embrace the fact that David was going to be the next king, and he would, he was the, the first one to say, go get him David, we're going to make you king. He embraced it. And that's the way foolishness is in the heart of a child. They embrace it with the closest love. They love foolishness. Children love foolishness. But the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Say they need it driven out of them. Look at the world. And kids that haven't been corrected. They live the most foolish lives. Because it's still bound up. They're still embracing that foolishness. Proverbs 29, 17. Correct thy son, he shall give thee rest. Why do we have so much unrest in our country? Because there's some parents that didn't correct their children. That is the bottom line. They haven't corrected their children. They wouldn't be out there rioting, throwing uh, uh, those multiple cocktails at police and bricks and blocks and, and stones and all this stuff at police if they'd have been corrected by their parents and taught to submit to authorities. Proverbs 29.15 The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. And so, there are many verses in the Bible, and that's just a few. You go through Proverbs, and there's verses after verses after verse about correcting children. But of course, the purpose of that is to, to correct, to it's out of love and concern for their development. Uh, it's to correct their way. Uh, now, there's, let me give you some things concerning correction, principles concerning correction. Uh, try not to make too many rules. You know, you can over, over, overdo that. But children do need boundaries, and be careful not to make rules children can't keep. You know, we've heard this phrase, and it wasn't meant rightly. You know, they're, they're free for, you know the, the modern thing is, you need to let the chits be kids. And I say, no. They don't have to act like animals. Yes, they are children, and we don't expect children to, to, to conduct themselves like adults. But we are training those children for adulthood. Remember, you're training that child for adulthood, so that should be your goal in mind. So you should be starting right now, as that little child is, to learn, to teach them to submit to authorities 
so that they, as they grow older, they'll submit to all the authorities that come into their life. Now, we, don't, we know a child, you, know, you wouldn't tell a three-year-old, now don't go over the speed limit. Don't go through the stop signs. They have no idea what that's about. Uh, make rules known and enforce them strictly. You know, don't don't correct a child or spank a child, and afterwards tell him his behavior their behavior was wrong. You know, Proverbs eighteen thirteen says, "He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him." So you wouldn't correct a child for something that they weren't told about. Uh, establish that disobedience will be swiftly punished. Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 8, verse 11. Ecclesiastes, chapter 8, and verse 11. says, because a sentence against evil, because a sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. So, to so establish that disobedience will be swiftly punished. Don't let your... Children know that you're, by your leniency, that they can get away with something. Disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You know, if you aren't going to mean what you say, don't say it. Mean what you say. Uh, be consistent. Persevere in your efforts. Again, Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 23.13.14 Withhold not correction to the child, for thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. So, you know, sometimes you, you wonder as parents, oh, Is this ever going to work? But you must persevere. Because the promise from God is, if you correct your son, they'll give you rest. That the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Uh, Don't discipline according to moods. Be consistent. You know, sometimes we parents can get exasperated with our children. But again, Ephesians 4 says this, You fathers provoke not your children to wrath. How do you provoke the child to wrath? Inconsistency will provoke him to wrath. Well, you know, if you're angry and you react, and then if you're not angry and you let it go, that's inconsistency. So the same kind of thing. Um, you know, they need to know that things are either right or wrong. There are that there are absolutes, uh, not inconsistencies in discipline. Uh, don't overlook things because you maybe are in a good mood or you're busy. Uh, that's that's a that's a that's a struggle we parents have. Uh, make sure punishment is unpleasant. Correction is unpleasant. Chastening is unpleasant. God's chastening is unpleasant. And if we're gonna if we are going to if the rod and proof is going to give wisdom, that correction must be unpleasant. It must hurt. Not abusive. 
But you know, God gave us a perfect place. You know, that Western Hemisphere, as it's called, it's well padded, and you can wear them out, and it doesn't break any bones, doesn't it? But it needs to be unpleasant. It needs to hurt. They need to know there are consequences to doing what is wrong. They must learn that unrighteousness results in pain and sadness. You know, it may, maybe, you know, it says the rod and reproof. So there's a rebuke that may come along, or it may be a rebuke and not the rod, but, but, uh, you know, disobedience needs to be corrected. And so they must learn that there's, there's pain and sadness associated with disobedience. Uh, of course, exercise self-control. Mention this a little bit. You know, don't, don't be abusive. Be consistent. Um, deal with what the child did. Don't ask, why did you do that? Let me ask you, why do you sin? It's because you're a sinner. That's why. And children are going to disobey for the same reason. Because they're sinners. Because they wanted to do it. You know, I sin because I want to. That's the bottom line. And I have a sin nature, so I'm naturally drawn to sin. And I sin because I want to do it. And I have to admit, there's times I've asked my children, why'd you do that? You know, that's a dumb question. It's a dumb question. Because sometimes we parents do dumb things. No, we need to teach them that it's not why they did it, it's what they did. It's what they did. You know, if you, if you start asking why did you do that, what you're going to teach your children to do is to rationalize and justify their sin. So it's not, ask, it's not, not necessary to even ask a sinner, why did you do that? Why did you sin? And nor is it necessary to ask a child. Uh, don't place undue pressures on a child that will incline him toward discipline. Um, parents, don't keep your children up all hours of the night and expect, set, expect them to be good-natured. They're tired. What's the tendency going to be? To be grumpy, unhappy, disobey. By the way, that's, that's part of a discipline is a schedule. Children need a schedule that teaches structure in life, also builds character. Uh, a schedule. Um, again, they need order and instruction. Uh, just don't send them to the room to get them out of your hair. Um, protect them or don't let them play with rebellious and undisciplined children. You know what they're going to do? They're going to they're going to do like those do. Proverbs, what is it? Proverbs, uh, anyway, it says, uh, He that walketh wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Theron Babcock, who was a musician, wrote a lot of songs and choruses, had a little song that's called, You Can't Run With a Skunk and Smell Like a Rose. In other words, you get like those you hang around with. And as parents, you and I have, you and I have a responsibility to govern who our children associate with. Because it affects your conduct. 
it affects our conduct. That's why we need to be careful in our association because if we associate with certain kinds of people, we tend to get like them. If they watch certain kinds of movies and they're heroes all the time, they're going to tend to get like that. That's why the, 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 the Hollywood is so dangerous. Somebody's rightly called it Hollywood. Um, resolve matters fully and promptly. Again, this has, you know, correction is a means of restoration into right fellowship. That's what correction is for, a means of restoration to right fellowship. You know, when God corrects us, he's trying to get us back into right fellowship with him. And when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That puts us back into a right fellowship with him. And the purpose, really, of correcting children is to restore them to right fellowship with parents. So, take care of the matter promptly. Do not keep your child in the doghouse all day long. Just get it over with. You know, in fact, I asked one of mine one time. I gave him a choice. Do you want to spank him? Or do you want some other form of punishment which would stretch it out? He said, let's get it over with. Let's get it over with. You know, and, 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 and that, that is a good idea. Don't, don't draw this out. Because uh, that, that can build bitterness. Uh, and, of course, teach them responsibility. Children need to have responsibilities in the home. They also have to be taught to assume responsibility for their conduct. And that's what correction does. It, 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 it puts back on them the responsibility for their actions. There's, there's consequences to how you act. Romans 14.12 says, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. And where children learn that they're going to have to give an account to God is by learning to be accountable to their parents. That's where they learn it. And so, you're training children. It is a monumental task. It is a very, can be a very rewarding task. And we have everything in the Bible given to us how to do it. How to do it. We need to be like we need to be like Manoah, and seek the Lord's wisdom. How we strength and and by the way, all children are different. They're all different. They need wisdom with each one. How to train this child to serve the Lord? How to train this child to serve the Lord? Because they are all different. But you know they are. They are an heritage of the Lord. And so whether you're a parent, a grandparent, or a parent wannabe, uh, you know, we need to, we need to understand these principles that we can apply to life. And of course, a lot of these principles are basic biblical principles concerning life. God corrects us. Just as, and that's a good picture of how we should correct our children.
whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you and if if you don't if you if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. And and if you don't endure chastening, then are you not then are you bastards and not sons. Proverbs says, "He that hateth his son, spareth his rod." So, may the Lord give us wisdom with in this area of training our children to serve the Lord.